Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 1 from the New King James Version. Here it is. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Interesting, isn't it? Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Many implications to that. Humility not being a know-it-all, not coming in with all your own preconceived ideas that overrule God's ways, God's words, God's concepts, God's thoughts, God's commandments and such, but you're, you're leadable, you're pliable, and you're willing to go with God's plan. So he goes on to say, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Isn't that interesting? Talk about God's value of not not only children, yes, but of the new believers in Christ Jesus, the new members of the family of God. I think all of that applies here. And he said, if you receive them, don't, don't get so cocky and haughty and prideful to where you think, You're better than anybody else in the kingdom of God. We should receive every brother and sister, no matter how long they've been here, what uh, socioeconomic background they're from, race, culture, skin color. I mean, we're all, every human being is created in the image and likeness of God. And if they're born again, all the more, they are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, no matter their age, gender, etc. So, Verse 6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he would drown in the depth of the sea. I think that's clearly implying uh, it'd be better to drown like that than what will happen to him. What? Seems like he's implying you'll end up going to hell if you're causing people to sin. And I think it's easy for us to underestimate how we talk to people. When we say, well, just do it. Don't worry about what they say. Just do it. And yet, it would be a sin for the person to do it. And But we, as somebody maybe older, esteemed, uh, influential, we use our opinion and we're encouraging people to sin and to get out of alignment with God. Oh, it can happen so easily. It can happen so easily because this is just the way people talk. But Jesus said, don't you do that. That is a big mistake. If you are influencing even one little child, one new person in Christ to sin, he said that that is bad. Now, that doesn't mean if you've ever erred in this and uh, done it wrong and, and that God won't forgive you. No, of course he'll forgive you. But probably good just say, Father, right now, any of us who have done this, and maybe we've all done it, Lord, we repent of that. We don't want to do this. We want to always encourage people to obey the Lord and to be right with God. So forgive us and cleanse us by the blood of Jesus. 
and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See, so, sometimes it's just that simple when something comes up in the Word of God and it confronts something that you have done or may have done, just stop. Humble yourself and say, Lord, forgive me. You know, I, I'll, I talk to God through the Bible reading. And when something heavy is identified, I'll, I'll say to God, in fact, I did this morning in my Bible reading, I just said to God, oh, Lord, may that not be me. Help me to never do that. Or, Lord, I've done that same thing. Forgive me from that. Help me never to do it again. Respond to God. He's speaking to us through his word. Let's respond to him as he speaks. That's a relationship. And that's what God really wants, is for us to take his word as if he's really speaking to us, because he is. So, verse 7, Woe to the world because of offenses, stumbling blocks, putting stumbling blocks in front of people. Uh, think things that would make people trip, things that would make them go awry. Somebody trying to get somebody to take a drink of alcohol or, or take a puff of marijuana or something, causing people to get addicted and hooked. Oh, it happens all the time. And Jesus said, woe to the world because of offenses, trying to lead people into sin, lead people into doing wrong. Uh, human beings like company when they're doing things wrong. They like other people to join them in doing it. But Jesus said, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. See, he is talking about hell here. And notice he said, if your hand, of course, this is metaphorical. Jesus is not literally saying that you can solve a sin problem by cutting your hand off. But Jesus is saying, this is how big of a deal this is. If your hand keeps stealing, for example, and, and Jesus said, if, if it's your right hand, then it'd be better for you to cut your right hand off and to go into the afterlife without a right hand. Of course, you'd get it back in the afterlife. But he's saying to go all the way to the end of your life without your hand, then to keep sinning and be cast into hell. So you can see here, yes, we are saved by grace. But just because we're saved by grace, that doesn't mean we can accept the grace of God and keep sinning. No, we're supposed to live righteously. And Jesus makes that ultimately clear here. Uh, and uh vividly clear, and the Apostle Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers do as well. John especially makes that clear in his little letters. And so Jesus said, it's better for you to and cut it off. And he said, not only cut it off, but cast it from you. Get that hand away from you. And this would, this would mean anything you have to do to cut it off to stop it. It could be access to the internet to stop the sin that's happening. It could be uh, unprotected access. In other words, you don't have any password set up. You've, you've got yourself in a position where you've got access and such, and you keep sinning, but you're not cutting your, yourself off from that sin. You're not taking the steps necessary, and you may have made some adjustments, but it would be more like trimming your nails compared to cutting the hand off. You're making some steps, but you know it has not separated you from the sin. Jesus said, Take the bold steps and do what you have to do. Lock up the internet. Password protect it. Make sure somebody else has the passwords. Uh, stay away from that person that 
uh, you're tempted with or that you're uh, 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 tempted to to flirt with or something when you're a married person. Oh, get out of that. Stay far away from that. Get away from that completely. See, Jesus is saying, you take the steps that you need to take to remove yourself completely from that situation. And so uh, this is wisdom from God. Oh, let me tell you, I had to, when the Lord delivered me from the bondage of lust many years ago, I, I took I took the step of taking his word and receiving the righteousness of God by faith. And, oh, it was changing, except for I wasn't removing myself from all the temptations. And so I was still in close proximity to some things and even saying some things. And the Lord had to teach me all these surrounding factors that play into a person not only getting free, but staying free. See, and so Jesus is saying, remove the opportunity. That's a great way to say it. Remove the opportunity to sin. Get far away from it. In fact, Jesus said in the prayer that he taught us to pray, to pray to the Father, lead me not into temptation. Another way to say that is, Lord, lead me far away from temptation. And so this is what Jesus is addressing here. Do what you have to do. Do whatever you have to do to cut yourself off from that opportunity and temptation. Jesus goes on to say, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. That seems extreme. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, condoning sin in your life, not doing whatever you have to do to stop disobeying God and sinning, Jesus is saying, that has much more grave eternal consequences than losing an eye. Again, he's not saying literally pluck out your eye because, you know, you people look at pornography with the, the good eye. Okay, so he's just giving an example of how extreme we should go to remove, to deal with, to separate ourselves from sin rather than risking being cast into hell over the disobedience. Verse 10, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels, interesting, their angels. So I believe this clearly shows us that all of us have angels, all believers for sure have angels that are assigned to them to protect them. You remember Psalm 91, uh, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you, charge over you. And here it says, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father, listen to this, even so it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This reminds me of Second Peter 3.9. God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. The, the Father in heaven, and of course Jesus and the Holy Spirit as well, do not want any human being on earth to be lost and to go to hell. God wants everyone to be saved. And this is why he's addressing us in this chapter saying, 
don't make people sin and go to hell. He, God wants everybody to go to heaven. So we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But having been saved by grace, we need to now be obedient and uh, allow the grace of God to help us to live right. And if we're not living right and we know we're not living right and we're not changing it, then we really haven't received the grace of God as we ought to be able to be forgiven and changed so that we can walk in obedience to God. And so notice Jesus said, man, uh, a person who has a hundred sheep, if one goes astray, he leaves the 99, goes after the one. And uh, when he finds it, he rejoices more over that one sheep than the 99. Than the 99. Why? They weren't lost. But his heart goes out to anyone that's lost. And boy, I tell you what, our world has a lot of ones who are lost. And so notice this. It's not the will of your father that even one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is a powerful principle. If you have other people there, it's going to complicate the issue because now the person's concerned about what they think, and you may be as well. But go between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. In other words, try if that the original one-on-one -on -one does not work and you've tried what you could. Bring somebody else trying to help bring reconciliation. That's the point. Let's see if we can come to a resolve on this so that there's nothing between us, brother. And it says, bring one or two others that by the mouth of one or two witnesses, uh, it'll be established. That's a principle from the Old Testament law. Verse 17, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now you take it to another level. Tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. In other words, at some point, He's not going to be convinced, and you realize that. But you can't treat this person like they're a believer. Now, don't think that this is just uh, some little difference of opinion. This is obviously talking about something where uh, he says, if your brother sins against you, this is something serious. It could be abuse. It could be an attack of some kind. But it's a clear sin to where even the church uh, leadership, so to speak, are getting involved in telling the person, oh, this is bad. This is sin. See, and if, if it's not just you and a couple of people, but now even the church leadership are trying to get across to this brother, now you know this is serious. And if it gets to that point to where church leadership says this is that serious to where we're going to confront you about this and he won't listen, now, and Paul brings this same principle up, for his sake, and the sake of other people not misunderstanding to think that it's okay to act like this. For, for this brother or sister's sake, we don't want to treat them like, well, don't worry about it. It's all right. Just a difference of opinion. Because this is not one of those situations that is just a difference of opinion. It's sin. And it's something that is concerning that will take you to hell if you don't get it, under, get it stopped and repent. Okay, verse 18. Assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is powerful. Uh, and let me tell you the way that it reads in the Greek. Jesus said, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. In other words, God has given us authority as human beings here, but also as a believer in the name of Jesus, you have been given authority. 
So whatever we bind, or we saw in chapter 16, Jesus said to Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth. So binding is locking and loosing is unlocking. We have authority in prayer in the name of Jesus to lock and to unlock and to bind. We should be binding and locking up sickness, disease, pride, greed, everything that destroys. And we should be loosing the angels of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, righteousness, love, blessing, and such, and those things that are good. We should use our words and authority in prayer and just our words in general to lock up the wrong things, sin, perversity, compromise, etc., but to loose the right things. See, so whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose. Notice the authority that Jesus says we have here to be able to do this. Verse 19, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. So he's giving us here an outline to a prayer of agreement. Two or three of us gathered together in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm there in the midst of you. My presence will be there wherever even a small group is gathered in my name. And he says this, again, I say to you that if uh, two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, not one person ask and the other go, mm, 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 mm. you know, no, we should all be using our words because words are powerful. Words of prayer and faith are powerful. We should all be using our words. Doesn't mean we have to, you know, mimic each other exactly, but that our words clearly are speaking our agreement with faith. And he said, the Father will hear that agreement, two or three witnesses in the name of Jesus, and do what they say. It's a powerful insight to prayer, the prayer of agreement with other people. Goes on to say in verse 20, for what, uh, he went on to say, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Peter thought that was benevolent. Jesus said, aren't you glad God doesn't only forgive us up to seven times? Oh, thank God. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This is an enormous amount of money. But as he was not able to pay his master, to pay his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and that payment be made then the servant therefore the servant therefore fell down before him saying master have patience with me and i will pay you all now watch this he said if you have patience with me i'll pay you everything i owe you then the master of that servant was moved with compassion this is god like god released him and forgave him the debt the master said, you know what? You don't owe me anything. I'm canceling the debt against you completely. <laughs> not only am I not going to throw you in prison and sell you as a slave because of all the money that you can't pay me, but I'm going to forgive this whole thing. Just call it even. Verse 28, but that servant that received this grace and this forgiveness went out, found his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. I mean, this is this is like uh, peanuts compared to what that person owed. Owed him a hundred denarii, 
And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, now watch this, and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Said the same thing that this other guy said. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told the master, the original master, all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to each of you, excuse me, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Jesus addresses something very important here. People do sin against us. He's answering Peter, should I forgive up to seven times? Jesus said, no, up to 70 times seven. And then he tells this parable and he's in essence saying, God has forgiven you time and time and time and time again endlessly. And the debt that God forgave you, the enormity of sins that God forgave you is so much so that you should never hold anything against anybody, even if it is a huge grave sin that has impacted you. And by the way, there are some sins that people have done with abuse, sexual abuse. Can you imagine sex trafficking, being sold into sex slavery, kidnapped and sold. I mean, there are some horrific, horrific things that have happened. And they are bad. God is not downplaying that and saying it's no big deal. God is just saying, compared to the sin that God has forgiven us, every one of us, and the price that Jesus paid, none of us should hold even the most most ruthless sinner uh, to where we don't release forgiveness. Now, is it hard? Yes, it's hard. Does it hurt? Yes. Is he asking us to trust those people? No, he's not. No, just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you trust them. Doesn't mean you want to be around them at all. You may want to stay a thousand miles away. But Jesus said, but from your heart, forgive them. And how can you do that? Only with the love and grace and forgiveness that Father God gives. Can we understand how we could extend that to people who, by the way, don't always ask. They don't always ask. And the Lord says, we need to be ready to forgive other people. And so, uh, oh, these are heavy things, but they're, they're such wonderful things. And let me tell you, when you have unforgiveness in your heart, it eats away at you. So this is not just for your brother or sister or whoever that perpetrator might be. This is to clear you of this spiritual disease called unforgiveness. And when you get that out and you don't have that anymore, oh, and God heals you, oh, the clarity, the freedom that you can feel inside not having that unforgiveness. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. 
We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.